Welcome to the A Jesus Church podcast. We're a family seeking to become like Jesus, empowered by His presence to partner in God's creative work of restoring the world. We pray this episode encourages and equips you along the journey. Welcome, welcome, welcome. All of you that snuck out to the uh, foyer to grab a cup of coffee instead of talking to people, welcome back. Hey everyone, my name's Tim. This is my lovely wife, Brittany, and uh, we are excited to worship with you this morning. We are a Jesus church committed to knowing Jesus and becoming more like him and how we think how we feel and how we act. We truly believe that our lives should reflect his heart and his truth. And we are here for him. Uh, We have a really great text for you this morning. So uh, if you want a Bible, go ahead and just raise your hand up. A man or woman around the room will get a Bible into your hand. If you don't have one, you're welcome to keep this as a gift from us to you. Next week, we are going to jump back into Luke. Shelby's going to be opening up the text for us. But we thought it would be helpful today to begin kind of 2023 refocusing on our identity and the vision that we have as a church. So I've asked my best friend and lovely bride to read the scriptures for us today and pray. Yeah, thank you. Would you stand with me as we read from the word of God? We are going to be in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Um, It's an amazing passage. You will remember it and we'll dive right into it. So hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them on symbols, as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Jesus, we thank you for this scripture. We thank you that you have given your children ways to walk with you. Jesus, and you've made it very simple. You've asked us to live it and breathe it moment by moment. Jesus, I pray that as we step into 2023, Jesus, that you would be more present in our homes. You'd be more present um, with us in our daily lives, the work that you've called us to. Lord, and would you make us and help us walk more intimately with you. May we put them, sometimes I think, Lord, we just need to know um, them, the words, the scripture, and then sometimes we need to have them around our wrists. We need to have them on our mirrors so that we are just being inundated with your word, um, Jesus. And so we love you and we thank you. And we just pray into the scriptures this morning as Tim teaches that, Father, we would look to you first and foremost um, in everything that we do and everything we say. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. May I grab a seat? Hey, before you sneak away, what was your favorite part about Christmas? Oh, man. I love Christmas. There's so many things. I think I would have to say, as a mama who's launching her kids, um, getting them all under one roof is, for me, one of the key things because... Um, we're, we're learning to do it differently as well because we're in a new season of kids leaving. And so this year we shared our kids with the, our oldest son's in-laws. Uh, so we did Christmas early, all of us as a family, and we did four hours of Olympics. Yeah. Like Tim did a four-hour Christmas, four Olympics. Christmas Olympics game that we did, and we had a blast. We did all sorts of fun stuff. 
But then also we've learned on the mission field how to do family differently and how to bring family and friends in. And so at Christmas Day, we got my sister and my nephew Caleb and Carly and Nora. We had our build-in family that came and we mm-hmm. celebrated and had fun and did all sorts of fun stuff together. So it's definitely about people for me. Yeah, people. That's because you're yeah. an extrovert. Very. Yes. Yeah. You never run out of people. I don't. always have love for people. Right. Thanks, babe. Hey, so um, we're going to dive into this text. And, you know, in September... Uh, we kind of introduced this idea in the vision series of what does it look like for church to be family? Uh, That actually more than just like a scriptural metaphor uh, or wishful thinking, the Bible tells us this story of God creating a people, his, his people, his family. We looked at Genesis 1 where God created man and woman in his image to rule and to cultivate. Uh, and, and he shaped Adam and Eve up out of the dirt, out of the, out of the ground, and he breathed his very life into them. And then he told them, like, go make something of it together as a family. And he blessed that first family and he commanded them to go, be fruitful, increase the in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Make babies Make homes, make communities, make cities, culture, art, good food, beautiful people, places, and things. Nurture life and nurture love together as a family. God makes this audacious decision to entrust this beautiful creation project to these image bearers who Luke would later call his sons and daughters. But first... That first family, it kind of like goes a little sideways, doesn't it? There's this whole like talking snake thing and there's like bad fruit uh, and there's a lot of finger pointing that happens. Sound like any of your guys' family reunions? I mean, there's, it just isn't great. Things go really sideways, but it's a good thing that God doesn't give up. A handful of chapters later, we're introduced to a new family, the family of Abraham. God's plan is now to select one family up out of all of the families from all of the nations in the world and create a community of blessing. So we read in Genesis 12, verses two, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The call is clear. You exist as my people to be a conduit of my blessing. And this Abraham's like big, bold faith move to follow God wherever he called, it it, it extended to this blessing into a family, into a little community that would form up out of him. And that community would go and be a blessing to the world. Abraham's faith was very powerful. Because blessing, remember, isn't just about increasing the size of our herds or increasing their territory or having a bunch of kids. No, ultimately, the blessing was a relationship, a relationship with the God of the universe, this God who would let nothing stand in his way to get his family back, including sending his own son to get the job done. Uh, The Apostle Paul, he says it like this in the New Testament, in Galatians 3, verse 7 says, Understand then that those who have faith are are children of Abraham. In other words, like Paul's saying, 
If you confidently believe that God has worked, is working, he's making things new, he's drawing us close, he's building a new kingdom. If you believe that and you hold on to it, you have the same kind of faith as Abraham did. And you're now a part of that family. Verse eight, scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Justify is just kind of a theological idea of he made us okay with God. He made us right with God. So we are made right with God. And, and, and he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham saying, all nations will be blessed through you. Verse nine, so those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So we, we get that right relationship with our heavenly father and our, our kingly big brother, Jesus, and the spirit of truth and love. We get blessing and we get family. Jesus, he said it this way in Matthew 12, verse 47. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are outside and they want to speak to you. And he replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. I think, I think sometimes when we hear that or read that text, those works of Jesus, uh, we kind of balk a little. Like he can't really mean what he just said because that would be way too intimate. And it kind of feels like it would be a little hurtful to Mary and his brothers. So we kind of turn them into like figurative speech or like a, a figure of speech. And, and think about it as Jesus being just kindly inclusive. But the thing is, that's actually exactly opposite of what Jesus is doing in this moment. In the moment, in this text, he is revolutionizing the concept of family and defining who is in it and who isn't. This, this is not a metaphor. This is not some open-ended statement of inclusion. No, this is Jesus setting boundaries around what it means to be in his family, what it means to be blessed. Jesus He's continuing that work that his father set in motion in the Old Testament in his disciples. Jesus is bringing together these like radically, these 12 radically different guys in this extended group of men and women into one family, creating a new type of family. God's call to Adam and Eve, to Abraham and Sarah, is, it's ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus, but... God's mission of blessing, it extends through Jesus, through his Holy Spirit into the family that he has built, is building. It, it extends even here, like right now into this moment in this family here. What's amazing is that we, we know that his family is going to be from every tribe and every tongue, from every nation. It's going to include old and young. It's going to include men and women. And it's going to be people that are like biologically related to you, like your brothers and your sisters, your aunts and your uncles, your, your moms and dad. And it's going to include people who are new to your family, new relationships, married, single, Asian, African, Latino, European, all of them brought together into one community, a home where, where God's 
God's will and God's heart reigns and everyone is welcome to the table. A family centered on and submitted to Jesus. We call that a King Jesus family. And honestly, this really is the driving vision of who we are. To be this people, a King Jesus family in the midst of our city, in the midst of the world in which God has placed us to be a place of hope and life, safety and peace and reconciliation. You know, I have some dear friends of mine who have been on this really long journey of, uh, of infertility. I mean, I think it's been almost a decade of them trying and trying to figure things out. After 10 years of kind of wrestling through that process, they kind of finally decided to, to, to adopt. And, and actually, literally, I was just texting with them yesterday, literally just got their first kind of like the family that they're going to be adopting, three little ones, all at once. And they're like all one year apart and they're like all under the age of three and a half. So it's like, it's like boom, boom, boom. Their lives are about to be changed. Uh, and, and, and honestly, talk about like what an incredible picture, an incredible image of the way a King Jesus family would work. Because, you know, that's the thing is this couple, you don't know them, but like they are just some of the most genuine, loving, open-hearted, open-handed people you've ever met. Their home will be a place of peace. Their home will be a place of life. I know it because of who they are. Their home will be a blessing. And that blessing will now enfold into it these three little ones who themselves will grow up in that blessing, grow up in that Jesus-shaped community to take it with them out into the world that God sends them. So, so what does this all have to do with Deuteronomy 6, that beautiful passage that we started with? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're gonna get there right now. Uh, you know, honestly, Deuteronomy 6 is probably one of the more famous passages of scripture for any of us that have been around the church for any length of time. It's often called the great Shema. And actually that word Shema actually comes from the very first word, hear. And it's a declarative like, like, listen up, everyone. Like, engage your ears, engage your senses. I'm about to say something that's really important. Like, pay attention. We find ourselves in the story in Deuteronomy, kind of at the tail end of these, of these beautiful books, laying out the history of Israel, the story of Israel. And, and Israel he was rescued up out of Egypt because of their stubborn hard-heartedness. They have to wander through the desert for 40 years. And Moses is now like, he's wanting to leave the people with like a final sermon, a final speech, because he's not going into the promised land. His, uh, his apprentice Joshua will be. So he gets up in front of the people and he starts to lay out their story. And in chapter five, he said, he kind of reminds them, here's the big 10, the 10 commandments, super important. Don't forget these things. He calls them to obedience. And then he says, Deuteronomy six, verses four, hear, O Israel, Shema Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Pay attention. Sometimes called, this first line is sometimes called the great confession. For all kind of the language nerds out there, English teachers out there, this one, this, this, this word is in the indicative and it's like, it's like Moses is stating a fact. This is the way it is. 
There's two really important things you all need to know, Moses is calling out. First off, our God is personal. You see that word our there? Everybody, the Lord, he's our God. He's for us, not some like distant God out there, not, not like hovering, like a, a kind of an agnostic version of God hovering behind reality. No, he is our God. He is with us, intimately tied into our very lives. He is our God. But secondly, our God is unique. The Lord is one. You could, you could also translate this, the Lord alone the Lord, our God, the Lord alone, he is one God. Yeah, and it probably has some sort of statement about monotheism, but it's more than that. Moses is actually calling the people to an undivided devotion to their undivided God. Yeah, God, he is one. And our devotion is supposed to be like that, like one, undivided, a call for our total commitment, which leads us to verse five which says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. What an amazing passage. Any of us followers of Jesus, we hear this line and we immediately think of the great commandment, right? And found in Matthew 22, Mark 12, Luke 10, this pivotal moment in the gospels where Jesus says, hey folks, if you miss if you miss it all, the one thing that you got to get, the one thing that's the most important thing is love God with all that you are. And he's pointing back, Jesus was pointing back to this verse in the Shema. And Moses here in this moment is looking at Israel and he's calling them into wholehearted, undivided devotion to Yahweh. It's a call to love. And this isn't like manufactured emotion. It's a call to commitment. Again, for the, for the language nerds out here, this is actually a command. It's an imperative. Moses is commanding his people to an exclusive love for God, heart, soul, and strength. Now, for the Jewish people, heart and soul, they were, they're kind of like linked ideas. We, might, we almost like to separate them now in the West, but for them, these were very linked ideas. And really, it just refers to everything happening on the inside of you. All that you would consider your being, this, this, the deep part of who you really are, your, your heart and your soul. And the strength didn't just refer to like their physicality. It referred to everything that they did with themselves. It could also be translated exceedingly and refers to like their devotion, what they acted upon, what they put their shoulder into, so to speak. And this, this can be a little bit tricky for us to swallow, right? Because the idea of commanding love, that's a little hard for us. Like, can, can you, is it authentic if it's commanded? And I, I think what's important for us to catch is that the Shema is a call to Israel to step into a relationship with God that was already happening. Their love was simply a response to God's love. Their call to devotion was simply a response to God's devotion. Later in the New Testament, John, one of Jesus' closest disciples, he would tell us that God is love, 1 John 4, verse 16, and, and that we love him because he, say that again. Like, 
We love him as a response to his love. Our love is a response. And so when we are commanded to love, it's not out of duty or obligation. It's a reminder, a reminder of what the appropriate response is to one who already loves us wholeheartedly. Let that sink in for a second. We're called to love God with all that we are because God already loves us with all that he is. I mean, that's mind boggling. And that is the relationship we're called into. But how do we do this? Well, the answer is being the people that he has called us to. In Jesus' words, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So, in verse 6 of the Shema, it says this. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now the the commands that Moses is referencing here, these were this, this kind of grouping of social and religious laws that set Israel apart from other nations. It made them holy to the Lord. They, they included everything from like moral codes and what they should do legally through to like bathing habits and, and, and how they were supposed to eat and everything in between. It was all inclusive. But the thing is, the law was more than about putting parameters around Israel. It was actually about forming them into God's people. It was like a, a plan of formation. So when Jesus later comes on the scene and he says, look, I haven't come to abolish the law. I'm not getting rid of all that. What I've come is to complete it, is to bring it to its fullness. So you heard him th say things like, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And in that he reframes the commands and, and recalls us to step in in a deeper way. And then he tells us, look, I'm leaving my Holy Spirit to, to help you to place these commands literally on your heart, which is the first place, interestingly, that Moses goes to when he talks about these commands. He says, these commands, they're to be on your heart. Now, likely, when Moses was talking about this, he was referring to this idea of having the commandments, those scriptures repeated within themselves over and over again. He's likely telling them, keep the commandments fresh in your minds. And one practical way that that is done is through scripture memory. And I'll tell you, like ancient Israel, they were, they were amazing at this. Now, this has become a bit of a lost art, if I'm going to be honest, in most of Christendom. Do we have, by show of hands, okay, is there any people out here who are like, I kill it at me Bible memory? I know we have a couple. I, I can see the Brocks over there. So I know you guys are, there you go. All, that whole family kills it at Bible memory, okay? Like, I'm telling you, like, this, this, this lost art, it used to be a part of the fabric of Jesus's religious community. Taking the scripture and, like, mulling it over letting it like simmer inside of our soul. And that's what happens when you memorize a passage. It, it has an opportunity to like take root and to become integrated. Recall these scriptures, Moses says, memorize them, keep them ever playing through your mind. But then Moses goes on further and says, and they, they should be on your children. You know, we might think of this as the family, as the people that are around us. 
The Shema is literally one of the very first things that Jewish families teach their kids. It's, and it's because it's right here in the text, right? Moses tells us that another great way to, to be formed into these commands is to literally just speak them over each other. To, to keep speaking the scriptures out loud, not just in our minds, but verbally over top of each other, repeating them, speaking them out over our community, over our family. If you've got a roommate, speaking them out over their roommate. If you've got you know, kids, you speak them out over your kids. You call them to speak them out over you. This constant bringing the scripture up in our midst, it helps form us. It helps change us. And he uses this example, like as you as you talk about them, as you sit at home and as, as you walk alongside the road and as you lie down and as you get up and really he's just creating bookends for everything that happens in between. This list, sitting and walking, lying and getting up, the idea is to integrate those commands into your very soul. Imagine if we approached our discipleship to Jesus this way where we were constantly speaking the truths of Jesus over each other. I wonder, like, what kind of things would begin to change in our lives? What kind of health would we begin to bring into our relationships? What kind of health would we begin to bring into those places that we lead and where we work? What would it look like to pull more of Jesus and his words into more of our day? But then Moses goes even another step further. He says, these things are supposed to be like on your person, okay? On their heads and on their hands or on their forearms. And literally down the road, you know, as history would progress, Israel would begin like taking these leather bands and these little square boxes and, and tying the scriptures to their forearms or binding the scriptures around their foreheads. And it was this act of keeping the scripture at arm's reach. It's right there. I always know where it is. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly how that translates into our culture and our time. Maybe this is like the whole rise of like Christian tattoos, uh, maybe. Uh, or, or maybe Christian bumper stickers, although I, I'm not sure about those. You know, the reality is, is having the text close by, what does it look like for you? I've got friends who they literally, they keep the text like on their bathroom mirror. And as they're brushing their teeth, they're just seeing it, letting it play itself back into their hearts and their minds. Or, or on the steering wheel in front of them, texts that are written out, reminding them of who God is, who they are, what it means to be about his business, what it means for them to be a blessing in the day that they're stepping into. Imagine if the first information to hit your eyes and mind each day wasn't your phone. Imagine what your life would look like if it wasn't your tablet, wasn't your television set. I mean, what would change? Instead of the, oh, look, the world is going to hell in a handbasket again today. What if it was replaced with, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as, as yourself? What if that was the stuff that was charging you into your day, setting the trajectory for your values, setting the trajectory for your purpose. What if, what if those words were the first things that you were seeing? I wonder, how would our days change? And then finally, Moses calls them to write the words on their community. 
on the door frames of their homes, on the gates of their property. The door frames, it was like, you know, that thing that you just pass by every single day. Think of all the times you walk in and out your front, of your front door of your house. A constant reminder that God is where you're going. You're, you're going out into the, God, God's, God's where you're headed right now as you're heading up to the store. You're coming back into your, God is here in this space, in your home right now, in this moment. A, a reminder that this, this house it will serve the Lord. This space will be a Jesus space. The writing on the gates was like an outward statement to the world, to the community around them. And, and, and not, like, not like signs announcing why everybody else is wrong, but signs announcing of the goodness of God. This isn't about being belligerent. Its intent was to bring the community around them into the journey of discipleship with them. Friends, the neighbors, the coworkers, this thing, I believe, it, it changes who I am and I want you to know about it. So it's on the gates of my house to continue this process of drawing all people to Yahweh, boasting about his goodness, boasting about his mercy, boasting about his love. Because ultimately, obedience to his commands, it isn't just about us, right? Remember, go circle back to the beginning. It's about being a blessing. We have been loved and so we can love. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for our vision of being a King Jesus family? I think, I think it really comes down to clarifying those values, those things that set us apart as a people from all of the other families on the earth because there are distinctions. A King Jesus family does look different than all of the other families. And yeah, your King Jesus family may be made up of all the, all the people in your home and a few friends that are a part of that, but, but the reality is, is this expanded community of people, it values and cares about different things and those things are going to rise to the top. So what sets us apart? Well, first and foremost, a King Jesus family declares that God is in our midst. That his presence is what we hunger for. That our encountering him is literally the most important thing that we could do. We see his presence, God with us. We just celebrated Christmas, right? Emmanuel as being the marker that says this family exists for him and for him alone. Think back to the time when Moses is in this dialogue with God and God's like, like I'm kind of I'm done with you guys for a season. I need you to go. And, God's, and Moses is like, God, if you don't go with us, like how are people gonna know who we are? We don't wanna go anywhere without you. We're not gonna move from this spot unless you say, move. His presence marks his family. And this, this isn't about some religious duty. This is about orienting our heart and our mind and our spirit around him. Our love is a response. But secondly, 
as we are in that love, we begin to change. We're formed. We, we're a community that is becoming like Jesus. I mean, it's a part of the reason why we went after that theme and that text this year in Luke is we want to know what does it mean to, to, when you're in God's presence to become more like him. And, and that means that like this Jesus life, it's going to saturate our day-to-day experience. The good news of Jesus, it should make up our daily conversations. His ideas should be floating around in our imaginations. His word spinning out in our creations. As we sit in our cubicle, or we walk around our campus, as we collapse into our lazy boy at the end of the day, or get up early to go off to the gym to try to get a workout in before the day gets going, he is with us, shaping us in those moments. We are following his commands because they're not burdensome. And our work is to be formed into his people His goals become our goals and we begin to form kingdom habits, kingdom rhythms that change us, exercising like an athlete does or practicing like a musician does or learning like a student does to become who Jesus has called us to. And as that happens, as his presence begins to form us and as we become increasingly more and more like him, we go out and do the things that he does. We partner with him in renewal and restoration. We do the act of creation. The first thing we learn about God in the scriptures is that he is a creator. And when he creates us and calls us into his mission, he breathes that creation power into us and says, go, recreate, renew, restore, make life. We let our little light shine. I missed that song a long time since we sang it. We become partners in making all things new. You see, my friends, Jesus has this vision and we we catch it. It's in a couple places in the scripture. And it's this vision of like this little bit of water trickling out from underneath the temple. And it starts as just a little trickle. And that little trickle, it slowly becomes a stream. And then that little stream, it becomes like a river of living water. And it literally flows throughout the land. It it pours down the streets. It goes into the alleyways. It goes into the playgrounds and it finds its ways into the parking lots. And And then it creeps into the front door of people's houses and into schools. It goes into places that you couldn't even imagine. The living water, it goes and it brings healing with it. And as it does, suddenly you start to see trees popping up and the trees, the leaves have the healing that the nations need and the fruit that comes in like every single season that brings life and restoration. That is the vision that Jesus sees for our city, for Portland, a place of restoration, bringing hope and life. And here's the secret. If you call upon the name of Jesus and his spirit is alive and dwelling in you, you are that water. You are that tree. You are the one that is bringing the spirit's life, the spirit's hope. You are the one that's bringing Jesus's healing with you as you go. That's how the water does what it's gonna do. We are the hands and feet 
of Jesus. You know, I'm reminded, even as I say this, of a time, like a number of years back, Brittany and I were working with a couple. It was a very difficult situation, very painful, domestic violence situation. And, and it, was, it was one of those times when we kept trying to bring rescue and bring hope into it, but it, things just kept getting broken again. People who are stuck in addiction and stuck in difficult situations, it can be hard for them to get out, out of being stuck. And I remember at one point them, like this, this couple just walking away from us and not wanting anything to do with us. Fast forward a couple months, we had a full house. There's a ton of stuff going on in our life. It's kind of a crazy day. I think I was getting ready for church. There was all this sorts of stuff. We get a knock at the door. And here is this woman, this young woman with her little baby crying and sitting on our front step. She didn't know where else to go. And I don't, I don't share this story to say, Brittany and I have got it all right. We don't, we make, we make mistakes in this all the time. But what do you do when there's a single mom sitting on your front doorstep with a baby crying in her hand? What do you do? Your life is busy, your life is crazy. I'll tell you what you do. You open up your door and you say, come on in. Because we exist as a family, not just here in this room, but as lighthouses scattered throughout our city whether that's your community, whether that's your home, you exist in that place to bring light and to bring life and to bring hope into the places that I'm never gonna get to, that our pastoral team is never gonna get to. That is where light and life and hope is needed the most. And my friends, that's where families needed the most. Because that's, that's the gift that you're offering. Come in, be a part of our family. Be a part of healing. There's three challenges I wanna, I wanna leave us all with. Stepping into 2023. Three places that are kind of connected to these core values. And, and, and the first one is that area of presence. I wanna encourage you, as a follower of Jesus, to, to take time in the week ahead to like, just stop and ask, like, where is God at work in my life? Where, where is he right now? Like, what's he putting his finger on? Or kind of the other side of that question, is there a place in your life where it's like, man, there is like brokenness over here. And I wanna invite, I wanna invite your presence into that place, God. Because we need you, Jesus. We need you to be in that place presence. The second one is in the area of formation. As we are becoming like Jesus, as we're following him in his path, like what is one daily or weekly kingdom habit you could start? I mean, I ran through like three or four of them in the great Shema that are just laid out there, like ways of stepping into the scriptures of reminding ourselves of who God is and working for that, letting it integrate into our soul. Maybe it's reading a passage, memorizing a passage together with you and your kids, or, or, or maybe it's like you beginning to like speak scripture out over your roommate. What is it? God could be calling one daily or weekly kingdom habit you could step into. And then the third one is in the area of creation. What, could, what is one way that you could partner with God to make things new? As you look into your life right now, a place of brokenness, maybe there's a relationship 
that you know this is the time. God's healing needs to enter into this place. Or maybe there's like, there's this like houseless person that you drive by every single day and you stop and you've like smiled and nodded at them a couple times, but like the spirit's been prompting you like, it's time. It's time to stop. It's time to have a conversation. Who knows? I'm just saying, let God lead you. Ask God how to partner. Would you stand up to your feet? I want to pray for us. Father, we, we thank you so much for your love that you poured out on us first. And that when you call us, when you command us into love and obedience, it is simply calling us into the place that you have been first. Jesus, we, we ask right now that you would make us more and more like you. Help us, Lord Jesus, to love you with all that we are, with every moment of our life, with every action, with every thought. This is all about you, and it's your name that we lift up. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to partner with us through giving, visit us at ajesuschurch.org.